Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. The Bible says Acts 2 verse number 41. Acts 2, verse number 41. The Bible says this, and then I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read you a verse. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It's dealing with the church and the early church and, and the beginning of all of that. But look at verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Know what the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly. In other words, they didn't get out. In other words, they didn't fall out by the wayside. In other words, they wasn't hit and miss. They continued steadfastly. Now, I'm going to read you a verse if you want to look at it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Again, he says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. And he said this in Acts chapter number 2, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines. And I want to talk to you just about that word steadfast or continuing steadfastly tonight. Father, I love you. You know the need of the service. I pray, God, that you'd help us for just a little while, God, as we look into your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you give us clear understanding from it, and we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I thought about this uh, this week, and um, where the Bible says, and they continued uh, steadfastly. And then he talks about in Corinthians, Paul uh, exhorts us to, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. And then he says this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, it's Wednesday night. I understand that. And I understand that it's cold outside. And I don't know about anybody else. It wouldn't bother me if I woke up in the morning and it was about 75 degrees. I would be just fine with that. Um, but anyway, I, um, I, I know it's Wednesday night. And I know it's cold outside. And I know you're in church. Um, um, uh, it's the core of our church. And some may say, well, preacher, why would you talk about being steadfast or being faithful or staying in the fight on a Wednesday night? Because it's preventive maintenance tonight. Or we would say it this way, Brother Remington, at the fire department, it's continuing education. In other words, it's a reminder to us that it is important to continue steadfastly in the work of God. If there's ever a day that Satan is trying his best uh, to destroy our homes, to destroy our minds, uh, uh, I would say it this way, destroy our minds, destroy our marriages. Uh, um, um, he's trying to destroy our children. Uh, um, he's trying to destroy the methods um, that we use to serve God. He's trying to get us to take a different route. Um, if there's ever been a time that we need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, it's in the day and age when we live. Understand you're in church tonight, but will we be found faithful a year from now? 
Will we be found faithful two years from now, three years from now, four years from now? The word steadfast or steadfastly is this. In a way that is fixed, steady or firm, that's what it means. In a way that is fixed, steady or firm, steadfast is almost a thing of the past with a lot of people today. Matter of fact, you could really say steadfast and consistency is married to each other. It's the same thing. I thought about this. Um, when there is no consistency or no steadfastness in the things of God, we're in trouble. Um, I, 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 you know, what is the priorities of our life? A lot of times we get our priorities, and I'm the world's worst if I'm not careful to get my priorities out of line. But you know what the priorities of our life ought to be? Number one, it should be God. God's number one before my wife, before my children, before the ministry, before anything else. God is, should be number one in our life. But after God, then you know what number two in my life is? Number two in my life should be my wife. Amen. It should be my wife, not my children, but my wife tonight. I had my wife before I had my children. Amen. Um, somebody give me an amen right there. Now, do I need to preach on the home tonight. I had my wife before I had my children. Amen. After my wife, then comes my children. Amen. Then comes my children. And, um, 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 I, man, that's important. Matter of fact, I've really, uh, uh, Brother Stanley Blue done a great book on the home. Some of y'all's probably seen that. And I'm really thinking seriously at first of the year going through that book uh, on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night on the home because it's so important. But anyway, my children, amen, comes after my wife and comes after God. And then you say, well, what's next? Well, what's next? Uh, is my intermediate family. In other words, my mom, my dad, my sister, my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law. Are you with me right there? My mother-in-law and my father. When I married my wife, I got my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. As bad as I don't like it, I got, no, I'm just speaking, I got my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. You know what? I'm supposed to show my mother-in-law and my father-in-law the same respect I show my mom and my dad. Amen, and, and, and if my mother-in-law and my father-in-law need something, you know what, I'm sorry, but y'all are going on the back burner and I'm going to take care of my mom and dad and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. That's what the Bible says do. We're to honor them. Then after my immediate family comes the ministry. It comes the ministry, amen. And uh, you say, we're not first, we're not priority in your life. No, I'm sorry, you're not priority in my life. God's priority in my life. And then my family, and I want to say something tonight. We need to learn consistency and to be steadfast uh, in those priorities in our life. And when we are not steadfast in God, number one, being the priority in our life, uh, then we're in trouble tonight. I thought about some people uh, that has been steadfast, unmovable, and always abounded in the work of the Lord. The first person that came to my mind when I thought about this, besides my grandfather, but the first person that came to my mind that's already home in heaven um, uh, that I thought about um, when it comes to this is a lady by the name of Miss Kay Gallion. Um, some of y'all knew Miss Kay. Some of y'all didn't know Miss Kay. Some of y'all started coming to church 
since Miss Kay went home to be with the Lord. She always sat right there about where Miss Rhonda is at. Brother Wade still comes on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. In the summer, when it's not dark, he'll come some on Wednesday nights. But Brother Wade always sits right there and cries through every one of the services. Man, we'll get to singing about heaven or what a day that'll be. And you can look back there and old Brother Wade will have that little hand raised and praising God. Why? Because heaven's a whole lot sweeter to him today because Miss Kay's there. Miss Kay was always in her place. She was always there. Matter of fact, she made, she made this statement. She said, I'll never forget this. One night she was testifying and here's what she said. She said, I've chose to focus on what I can do instead of what I can't do. She said, there is a lot of things that I can't do at the church anymore, but there is still some things I can do. And you know what we can say about Miss Kay? She died steadfastly abounding in the work of the Lord. She was always in her place doing what she done. I thought about some other people. Uh, nobody in here besides my wife will know these people, but there was a man by the name of Brother Jim and his wife was Miss Mary. For years and years and years and years and years, uh, they cleaned Northwood Baptist Church. When it was just the small little church, they cleaned it. Whenever the new one was built, they cleaned it. They never charged it. That's what they always done. They said that's what they could do for the church. Uh, and you know what? Until they was unable to, they was always, in their place doing. You say, preach, what are you saying tonight? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the... Just be faithful tonight, amen? Just stay with it. I thought about the very first Sunday I was here at the church. I'll never forget the first Sunday morning I preached here. Um, we lived about an hour away at the time, and some of you have heard me tell this story, but uh, we lived about an hour away at the time, and uh, I come up um, um, prison camp and got right here at Haystack Road and was going to turn left because we was coming out of Dobson and was going to turn left. And there was a, a bluish-colored grand marquee that turned in front of us right there, and I was my best to beat them on the Haystack Road because I was running late for the very first Sunday that I preached here. And um, I, I can't, you that knows me, if, if I'm on time, I'm late. I cannot stand to be late. And uh, I thought, man, whenever they turned in, uh, there was an older lady and her hair, I'm telling you, she had her hair, every bit of it, all of it wound up and right in perfect place. And she turned in the Haystack Road. And I thought to myself, I'll never get there. That's what I thought. I'll never get there. And we had a Nissan Altima at the time. And I thought whenever we turned in, Brother Robert, I noticed that when you come out of that curve, there was a long straightaway. It was the double yellow line at the time, but I'd already made up my mind, Brother Joe, I was passing that grand marquee and grandma that was in that car. Leslie was like, well, what if they're going to the church? I said, well, we'll beat them bad enough. We'll be inside before they ever get there. Are you with me? We turned in, and whenever we turned in, I couldn't catch it. I'm telling you the truth. I couldn't. We come through them curves over yonder, and I told Leslie, I said, that poor old woman's going to kill herself wherever she's going. I don't know what's wrong with her, but she, she's crazy. Well, you know what? We got to Blevins Store Road, and on two wheels, she comes sliding in Blevins Store Road. And I thought, well, I don't know what in the world's wrong with this one. Well, we got to the church driveway, and she comes sliding in the church driveway, and Leslie said, ain't she glad you didn't try to pass them? 
You say, what did you say back? Ain't none of your business what I said back. And whenever we got up here, she had already made it to the church and got in before we could get here. It was a lady by the name of Miss Eva Atkins. Miss Eva Atkins. And uh, I'll never forget Miss Eva. Miss Eva lived with her daughter and son-in-law and, and had a room at their house and had that car. But she had 497 and a half keys that she carried on her wrist. And I'll never forget every Sunday morning when Sunday school is time for Sunday school to start, you could hear, boy, I'd love to hear it one more time. You could hear the door open up and you'd hear, clink, 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 clink. Here she, I don't know what in the world all them keys went to, but boy, she had, she had just a ring of keys. This past Monday, me and Miss Leslie and Brother Mark was sitting in a meeting with our contractor. And, um, um, this lady was sitting in front of us. Her name is Danielle, and she works for Kenneth there at Invisicom. She looked at me, and she said, uh, how long have you been at Amazing Grace? And I said, I've been there 16 years. I'm in my 16th year. She said, you probably knew my great-grandma. I said, I don't know. I said, who was your great-grandma? She said, Miss Eva Adkins was my great-grandma. And I thought, boy, oh boy, man, tears swelled up in my eyes. Miss Eva Adkins, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night had her place right there on the piano. I'll never forget when we went to buy that piano. We had just the, um, the, the older style piano for years, and um, we had a man in the church that gave the money to buy a new baby grand. And I'll never forget me and Miss Gloria and Miss Eva and Miss Tanya went to look. Miss Eva sat down, just hit two or three notes on it, and got back up, and she said, I don't care. Buy whichever one y'all want. And I thought, boy, if everybody in the church was that easy to get along with, somebody say amen right there. Boy, every service she was in her place. Matter of fact, until the day she went home to be with the Lord, the last time she was at church, the last time she was physically able to be at church, she was sitting at the piano, playing the piano. You know, her family, I, there's not hardly a time that goes by that I don't see her daughter, that she don't look at me and say, Preacher, I know there's people that could have played the piano a whole lot better, but thank you for letting my mama be faithful to what God let her do. And you know what, looking back, I wouldn't change that today for nothing in this world. You know what she was? She was just steadfast. She was just steadfast. She was always there. You've heard this story before. But let me tell it to you again. I'll never forget the first Sunday morning. We got here and Miss Eva beat us in the door. And man, they wasn't just a handful of people. And I asked somebody, it may have been Miss Tiffany, Madeline was three. I said, which Sunday school does she go to? And she pointed us in it. It's actually where the church office is at now, just right behind that wall. And I'll never forget that Sunday morning I walked in and there was a lady by the name of Miss Eva Simmons. Miss Eva's at home in heaven today. Miss Eva Simmons was in there with her daughter and Miss Eva had that table set. I'll never forget it. She probably had 10 or 12 places set around that table. Little, little uh, cups of crayons were set at each one of them. There was coloring pages at each one of them. And I thought, man, I, I guess all the kids is going to come running in here in a minute. That's really what I thought, Brother Robert. And I'll never forget that Sunday morning, Madeline was the only kid in that Sunday school class. She was the only. We've split, split that class now two or three different times because it's grown so much from the age group that she had then. Because it went from like three to eight then. 
and there was nobody. It was just Madeline. The next Sunday, I came back. Guess what? I took Madeline to her Sunday school class. Every place in there was set. You'd have thought, Brother Stan, that he was going to be full. And you know what, Brother Corey? It was Madeline in that Sunday school class. But you know what Miss Eva did? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what she did? She continued steadfastly in the things of God. I want to say something to you tonight. If you have to talk about what you used to do for God, there's a problem tonight. If you have to talk about your used to being faithful and you used to do this and you used to do that, man, hey, what's wrong with today? There's never been a greater time to serve God. There's never been a greater time to be faithful. There's never been a greater time and a more needed time to be steadfast, unmovable. I thought about this. I, I, I was just I just wrote some names down today. I thought about this. I thought about right about where Miss Amy's sitting at tonight. There was always a lady by the name of Miss Myra that sat there. She was always in her place. Miss Myra's daddy was junior that started the church. Now, I'll never forget the first Sunday that I was here, Miss Myra being in her place. And you know what? Until the day she died and went home to be with the Lord, Miss Myra was always in her place. I'll never forget we would be having a meal or, um, uh, or something, and I'd walk out to the fellowship hall, and I would look, and man, it wouldn't look like that there was no food out there. And I'd look at Miss Myra, and I'd say, Miss Myra, what are we going to do? There's more people up there than there's food out here. And she would always say, you go preach and let God take care of the rest of it. If he can feed 5,000 with, uh, with two loaves and five fishes, he can take care of this. I'd go out there every time. I'd go out there and when I'd open the door, she'd say, you just go preach. She got to where she wouldn't even tell me the rest. She'd say, you just go. You know what she was doing? She's just steadfastly continuing in the work of the Lord. Just just steadfastly continuing in the work of the Lord. Just I thought about Archie Easter, how many years he led the singing at Northside Baptist Church. You know what they was doing? They was just staying faithful. I'm going to ask you something tonight. When the Lord comes back, are you going to be as these, this early church was continuing steadfastly or are we going to be like Demas was in 2 Timothy 4.10 that said this, he loved this present world more and forsook those that he was around. You know, there's a lot that's forsaken the church today because they love this present world more than they love the Lord. Steadfastly tonight. Only, I, 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 I want to encourage you tonight to stay steadfast in the work of God. Just stay with it. You say, preacher, what can I stay steadfast in? Let me show you something right here, just two or three things. And I don't know that I'll even give you all of them. I'm going to give you the first one for sure. We ought to be steadfast in our prayer life tonight. Stead, you know what? Not everybody in here is going to be called to preach. If everybody was in here was called to preach and everybody in here pastored a church, then who would the pastor pastor? Are you with me? Not everybody's going to be a Sunday school teacher. God's not going to put everybody in a Sunday school class teaching a Sunday school class because if he did, who would you teach? Not everybody's going to sing in the choir. Now, I think if you've got a voice and can sing, you're to be in the choir. Somebody give me an amen right there. You're to use your talents for the Lord and the gifts that God's given you. But can I say something? Not everybody's going to sing in the choir. Not everybody's going to be a deacon at the church. Not everybody's going to be a trustee. Not everybody is going to do this or do that. But you know what everybody can do? Everybody can pray. 
Everybody can pray. I got a new book yesterday on prayer, and man, I've started it today, and it's just been one of those. I've not had one like this in a long time, but it's been one of those, man, it's been hard to put down. Uh, matter of fact, I, I've carried it back and forth to the house two or three times <laughs> just since last night because I was reading it down there. I walked back up here and read it and go back. But on prayer, and man, can I tell you something tonight? We can all pray tonight. We can all be steadfast in our prayer. One of the chapters in it, and I've never thought about this, but I'm going to preach on it, but is the postures of prayer. In other words, uh, uh, the different, uh, some prayed setting down, some prayed standing up, some prayed with their hands lifted, some prayed with their eyes open. Uh, it's all through, it was really interesting. I've never thought about it until I got to reading it. But you know what? We can all be steadfast in, in our prayer life. It don't matter how sick you are, you can pray. It don't matter how bad of a mood you're in, you can pray. It don't matter how you feel, you can pray. You can pray riding up the road. You can pray riding down the road. Are you with me? You can pray sitting in a deer stand. Somebody say amen right there. You can pray. You can pray anywhere. You, matter of fact, the Bible says this, to pray without ceasing. And I want to encourage you tonight. Hey, let's be steadfast. They continued steadfast. Let's be steadfast in a way that is fixed, steady, or firm in our prayer life tonight. Let me tell you the reason we're where we are today. Number one, it's because of God. But number two, it's because the children of God prayed to God and asked God for it. Steadfast in our prayer life tonight. I, I, read, I love to study the life of Dr. Percy Ray, and that's who this book is about. It's called A Ray for God is what it's called. And it's an autobiography of Dr. Ray's life. And Dr. Ray, whenever you study his life out, actually had a career in acting in Hollywood. And God saved him, called him to preach. And um, just unreal, unreal what God done in his life. I want to read you a story tonight about praying. Uh, it's just one of, of hundreds of stories in this book. This story has always been, uh, it's just been, it's just been uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, I don't know how many times I've been through this book, but it's just one of my favorite stories. It's called The Millshed Revival and an Infidel in Hornsby, Tennessee. Let me read it to you tonight. Is that okay? I know that's like um, uh, unbaptist like to read a book in the, in the, in the pulpit, but it'll be all right, okay? If, is it all right, Deacon, if I read this? Okay. He said it's all right. If Robert Potts says it's all right, hey, it's all right, all right? He said this, and I'm going to read this to you tonight. I never shall forget the time when God really heard and answered prayer. His power was manifested in an unusual way. I was in Hornsby, Tennessee in a meeting out in the country about five miles. We were having terrific services. The house was full. The aisles were full. The windows were full. Now, I just stop for a second. I remember a night at our church when there was over 500 packed in here. The aisles was full. <laughs> the seats was full. The windows was full, the doors was open, and people were sitting in the back, listening in the back. Those seats went all the way back through there, and people sitting in the hallway back there. It goes on to say this. I was sitting right by the window. Just before I got up to preach, somebody pulled on my coattail. I looked out the window, and there was an old man who was an infidel. He said, Preacher Ray, would you come to our little village and hold a meeting when you get through here. I'm an infidel. I ain't religious, but I want you to come there because you preach the truth. 
that hypocrite bunch down there ain't never heard the truth. I said, they may not let me preach down there. He said, I'm asking you. I went there. I tried to find a place to preach but couldn't find one. That old infidel said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I have a big meal. I want you to come and preach. I'll close down the meal. He closed his meal, loaded his machinery back in one of the corners and made a meeting house out of the old meal. He said, come on and preach. If they won't let you stay around here, I'll let you stay in my house. Three generations of my people have been infidels. There has never been a preacher on our doorstep, much less in our house. You can sleep in my guest bed. I will cut the hams that have never been cut and feed you. You are staying with me. You preach. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. My mind's there. I see this old man saying, man, we're going to go down in the smokehouse and cut hams that's never been cut. And I'm, you know what he was saying? He, even though he's an infidel, he's saying, you know what, preach, I'm going to give you the best I got. He goes on to say this. I remember that one of the deacons of the Baptist church in that town came over while we were getting the meal ready. He said, who do you think is going to come here, hear you preach in a meal like this? I said, nobody asked you to come, and I hope God don't let you come. <laughs> yeah. I'd have been like, yeah, what he said if I'd have been standing beside of him. The first night of the meeting, he started out to the service, the old deacon. His knees began to buckle under him, and they had to take him back to the house. He never did get to come because he acted so ugly towards me. I preached a week. And there was not a movement. Crowds poured in there. There was still not a move. I went out to the country church that I had built and pastored for a while. 95% of the people I had led to the Lord couldn't read or write that went to that church. They didn't have shoes that was back in the depression to wear. I called on all of them to help me pray for the meeting. They said, we ain't, got no, uh, we ain't got no way to get down there, and we ain't got no clothes to wear. They went barefooted. The men wore overhauls, and the women wore dresses made out of fertilized sacks. I said to them, forget the fact that you don't have good clothes or shoes. Come on and pray. I sent a bus out to bring them to the mill shed. We started a prayer meeting around the clock, 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, then 9.30 to 10.30 and doubled it up. For six days and six nights, there wasn't a minute but what someone was praying for God's power to come on that meeting. For six days and six nights, 48 people prayed one hour each around the clock. On the seventh night, we all came together, all 48 of us to pray for seven hours straight. We prayed for seven hours straight. Not a thing had happened until that night. That seventh night, people came in buses from Jackson and Memphis and many other places. While we prayed in the seventh hour, the power of God fell. It was five o'clock in the morning. A man who had not been in church in 18 years was knocked out of bed, ran down to the meeting in his pajamas and got saved. 
Everybody that could come was coming. Others were getting saved. I had to go back to Mississippi on Sunday afternoon for a church service. When I got back Sunday night, the people were walking the streets and wringing their hands. They said, where have you been? This has been the most awfulest day of our life. People were wanting to get saved and there was nobody here to help them. I said, I'm here now to stay the rest of the week. I went in that meal shed preaching and revival continued to break out. People said, I don't know, this is what I've been told, that I was under the meal shed for 56 hours straight. 162 people got saved. The power of God fell in that town. Someone took me to a daughter of one of the merchants in town. They wanted me to talk to her about Jesus. She got saved. Her parents were workers in the First Baptist Church. When she went home to tell her parents about it, her daddy got up, took his belt off, and whipped her with the buckle end of the belt. He claimed that she wasn't old enough to go to that meal shed and get religion. She went to bed and prayed all night. The next morning at 9 o'clock, her dad went down to open his store. It was a very popular store. When he went in, he couldn't wait on anybody. The big traveling salesman came in. He tried to sell him some books, but he couldn't tell him what he wanted. The clerks couldn't wait on people for watching him act so funny. He was crying, wringing his hands, and was walking the aisles in the store. About 10 o'clock, he said, get out, everybody get out. He locked the door and came home. God dealt with him so strongly that he got saved. The daughter went out the front door shouting while he went out the back door shouting. Others went down the street shouting. About 9 o'clock that afternoon, everything was closed in town. Service stations, drug stores, the cafe, and everything else was closed in that town. People were crying and praying and shouting all over the town. The general railroad freight train was coming through there. The power of God stopped that freight train and the the crew got off and got saved that night. A man, listen to this, a man who run a big freighter mill said that if any of his workers went to the meeting, they would be fired. But the next morning, about 9 o'clock, he grabbed a hold of the emergency whistle and called in all of his crew and said, not another wheel in this mill will move until that preacher leaves town. The old infidel son was running the cotton gin and he got saved. The old man got saved and his folks got saved. Whiskey steel men got saved and went back to their steels to lead their crews to Christ. Over 18 miles across the uh, Hitachi River, there was a group of women out in a field picking cotton that had never even been to the meeting. They didn't know anything about it. They began to cry. One of the ladies said to the other, What are you crying about? She said, I don't know. I just can't keep from crying. Another said, What are you crying about? 
She replied, I'm lost and going to hell. Is there anybody here saved that can tell me how to get saved? None of them were saved. They started praying that God would save one of them. One did get saved. She began to testify before the day was over. All 18 of them were saved in their cotton patch. They kicked up about a half acre of cotton as they shouted and praised God. The power of God was falling everywhere. Up the road about four miles towards Bolivia, on 64 Highway, there was a log cabin in, a big dance hall, a nightclub. Listen to this. You've got to think about when this book was written back years ago. A mixed bathing pool and a liquor lounge. The man who owned it sent word to me that I had ruined his business. He said the people had quit coming to his place any... Or, to his place and were going to the meeting. Usually there were around seven to 800 each night at his events, but the last two nights uh, there had only been 50 there. He got mad and came down to the meeting. He said, if you say anything about my business, I'll shoot you uh, out of the pulpit and kill you. The Lord made me preach on him and his business that night. He got his gun out and started to shoot, but it wouldn't go off. He threw it down and ran down the aisle. He stopped me from preaching. I knelt down beside of him and led him to Christ. I said, you go over yonder and sit down until I get through preaching. He went back and sat down for a while. Then he got up and said, wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. I said, okay, what now, Joe? He said, you come on down to my place and hold meeting there when you get through here, will you? I said, yes, sir, I will. Later, we went up to the dance hall, stood and built. Uh, later, we went up where the dance hall stood and built a Baptist church. He turned the mixed bathing pool into a street. He cleaned out the liquor lounge and made a pastorium for the preacher. When Joe died, he was a deacon in the Baptist church. Why did this happen? Because that bunch of folks who couldn't read or write and didn't have any more sense but to fall down on their knees and pray for the power of God and pray until God moved. That's how it happened. God heard the prayers and shook that town. You say, preacher, what can I be consistent in? Preacher, what can I be steadfast in? We can be steadfast in our prayer life. We can be steadfast. Let me tell you the reason that town got shook because somebody prayed. You don't see God change your family? Pray. You don't see God change your life? Pray. You don't see God do something to your kids? Pray. You don't see God help your marriage? Pray. Pray. The old timers would say it this way. Just grab a hold of the horns of the altar and pray. Just pray. You know what they done for 48, uh, uh, for seven days, 48 of them prayed around the clock. Let me tell you what will change things today. Prayer. Miss Tini, do you come here to come start playing softly? Just pray tonight. What did he say? He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. May we be steadfast tonight. Let me tell you the reason we're where we're at tonight. It's because somebody prayed. It's because somebody prayed. It's because somebody decided, you know what? Let me tell you the reason I'm where I'm at tonight because I had a mama that wouldn't quit praying for me. In the church world, everybody knew my daddy and still does to this day. 
in the realm of fundamental independent Baptist churches. He's known all over the country. He's known all over the world. As a matter of fact, I talked to a girl last night uh, at Faith Baptist Church where I was preaching at that heard my daddy preach in Germany in the 90s. But can I tell you the reason I'm here tonight? I know my daddy prayed, but it's because there's a little mama that, that wouldn't quit praying for me. You say, preacher, what can I be steadfast in? In praying. In praying. You can pray riding up the road. Amen. You can pray sitting at the house. Uh, brother brother uh, uh, Milton Taylor is one of the greatest prayer warriors I know. You know what he told me? He said, some of the best times that I have praying is riding up a road. He said, I, I'm looking at the windshield. He said, some of the best times I ever have praying, preacher. He said, when I'm widening up a road, widening up a road. He said, I get to thanking God for the ocean, all the fishes in the ocean. He said, it's uh, some of the best. You said, preacher, what do you say? just pray tonight. Just pray. You say, what is praying? It's talking to God. It's talking to God. I said this teaching the other night uh, or the other day in Sarah. I may have said preaching. I can't even remember. The other day, man, we had been working out here and we had been going since sun up, since before sun up when we was doing all this grading. And it was late in the evening. It was a Friday evening and, and we had worked past dark. We was trying to get everything straightened up. I just walked back there to the altar. Brother Josh, I didn't kneel down because I, honestly, I was afraid I'd go to sleep just to be honest if I knelt down. And I just sat on the altar. I just sat down on that altar out there. And it was just something like, God, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. Verbally, out loud. Lord, I just, you say, why didn't you pray to yourself and close your eyes? I was afraid I'd go to sleep. So I just left my eyes open. I said, Lord, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for being good to me. I just want to thank you for my family. I want to thank you for my Bible. Thank you, God, that I've got a Bible to read. Thank you for being my best friend. Thank you for being forgiven. Thank you that every time I mess up, God, you're always there. You're long-suffering to us. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the church that you're letting us build. Thank you, God, for health and strength to be able to work today and do it. There's a lot of people that can't even do that. God, I just want to say, when we're praying, it's just a conversation. We're just talking to God. It ain't got to be something that's some eloquent speech, man. I would fail if it had to be that. It's just talking to him. You say, preacher, what do I tell him? You tell him what you want him to know. God, I need your help right now. Lord, I'm struggling right now. Miss Leslie's made me mad. I've told him that before. You say, did you really? Yeah, did she really make you mad? Yes. We don't argue. We throw pots and pans at our house. That's the reason there's, there's, there's sheetrock that's got patches in it all through it. I'm just picking. No, our marriage is not perfect. We have problems just like any other marriage. And you know what I do? I say, Lord, I need your help with this. God, in my flesh, somebody give me an amen right there. Here's what I want to do. But God, I need you to take over my flesh and not let me do what my flesh wants. Man, I'm telling you, praying is just talking to God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That praying is the work of the Lord. It's the work of the Lord. I, it would be unreal what would happen here on Sunday morning if everybody in this church would sincerely seek the face of God in prayer between now and Sunday morning. Tell you the reason... He said the man took the gun out to shoot him and the gun wouldn't go off. 
The story is told that that gun was loaded. Whenever you go on, it's not recorded in that book, but when you talk to preachers that knew Brother Percy Ray, the story is told that the gun was loaded and there was nothing wrong with the gun. I tell you what happened. God locked the cylinder on the gun to save the man of God's life, and that man got saved, and his business was, t- was turned into a church house. Why? Because there's a bunch of people that couldn't even read or write that wore ladies that wore feed sacks for dresses knew how to get a hold of God. They continued steadfastly in the work of God. And may we tonight continue steadfastly, church. I don't want to be like Demas. I don't want to forsake you. I don't want to forsake them. I want to, I want to finish and I want to finish well, Brother Josh. I, hey, look. When my pastor came to me, and would say, and it was my daddy, but even if it, but I'll take it past that. I've had other pastors besides my daddy. I sat underneath Brother Bud Wishon, and Brother Bud Wishon, if he's honest, and he would be, would tell you this. If he ever come to me and asked me to do something, I didn't question it, I just done it. Let me tell you the reason why, because I believed in my pastor. I believed in him. I believed, I trusted him. He had never given me a reason not to trust him. And Brother Stan, if he come to me and said, hey, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you take care of this? Would you take care? Yes, sir, preacher, I'll be glad to. And it wasn't because I was on staff with him. It's because I wanted to serve the Lord and I wanted to be steadfast in it. And when we're praying to God, we'll be steadfast. May we be steadfast.